welcome to Beyond Gameplay. I'm Kelly Dunlap. Tabletop role-playing games first gained popularity in the 1970s with the publication of Dungeons & Dragons, arguably the most well-known tabletop RPG of all time. D&D wasn't the first RPG, but it did manualize the gameplay experience and it made it more accessible to wider audiences. And then people started freaking out. (laughs) No, seriously, there was a real concern that playing D&D made people more violent or that the game was actually a recruitment tool for Satan. Here's just a few examples of newspaper headlines from that time. Dungeons and Dragons, just harmless fun or sorcery. Satanic games at Uplands. Dungeons and Dragons causes moral conflict and protest. Evangelists see game as front for demon worship. Black magic fear in two border towns. First, it's important to point out that the American Association for Suicidology and the Center for Disease Control both conducted studies and concluded that there's no relationship between playing D&D or any role-playing game and any kind of negative mental health outcome. In fact, role-play has been used in psychotherapy for decades in order to help people make positive changes in their life. By framing role-play within a game, players can explore their own lives and new possibilities within the safety of a therapeutic play space. And now, 40 years after the launch of D&D, a generation of mental health professionals have come into their own who grew up playing this game. They've integrated their experience and love of RPGs in general, their skills as experienced clinicians, and awe-inspiring creativity to craft gameful experiences that both engage clients through gameplay and support the advancement of treatment goals. This month on Beyond Gameplay, we're rolling for wisdom on how tabletop role-playing games are being used to help heal, and improve the lives of some of society's most vulnerable populations. To get this conversation started, I talked with Dr. Megan Connell. She's a psychologist and self-described therapeutic dungeon master, meaning that she uses RPGs to help her clients. She's the co-founder of Geeks Like Us, which is an online community where geeks can go to be themselves, find support, invigorate their passions, and be unapologetically enthusiastic. She's also the DM for Clinical Role, a twice-monthly live-streamed D&D campaign, and is the writer, host, and producer of the YouTube series Psychology at the Table. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you uh, for for many, many reasons. But uh, first and foremost is that the topic that Beyond Gameplay is addressing this month is the therapeutic use of tabletop role-playing games. And I don't think that I could have that kind of conversation without talking to to you in particular. Oh, thank you so much. It's a lot of fun. I love getting to use tabletop gaming in a therapeutic way and just kind of blending two worlds that I am a part of. So you use the term therapeutic dungeon master, and I'm wondering if you can maybe explain for the folks at home, like what... What does that mean? That means that I use the tabletop role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons or D&D as a therapy tool. So I use D&D as the medium to reach uh, different therapeutic goals, such as uh, social skills, um, self-confidence, assertiveness training, um, uh, just a wide variety of also um, conversational skills and things like that. So the, the tabletop RPG is the method of intervention? Correct. Okay. Okay. So I I think oftentimes when people think about tabletop, they have a very specific idea of the type of person that plays. Can you tell me a little bit about the people who you actually use D&D with therapeutically? Uh, Everybody and anybody. Uh, The the idea that most people have of, you know, the 
nerd with poor hygiene who is an adult living in their parents' basement still just isn't accurate. Uh, lots of people who play tabletop role-playing games are professionals, uh, engaging in lots of different things from professional sports, professional actors, people who are in business, um, different medical professions. So really, anybody you see is somebody who can play D&D and plays tabletop role-playing games. Um, the types of clients I use it with are just a wide variety. I have some people who are more on the autism spectrum, some with just severe social anxiety, some who just have a hard time making good friends and want to learn how to make those connections with other people. How does one become a therapeutic dungeon master? Or I guess said another way, how did you in particular find your way down that path? Well, it's I started off this path... Um, becoming a psychologist by actually my undergraduate degree is in music. I was going to become a music therapist, uh, but my big secret shame that's not so secret now that I'm saying on the podcast is I am a <laughs> terrible guitar player. Like I was bad enough that the head of the music therapy department told me I either needed to take a year off to master the guitar or change my major and become a psychologist. <laughs> and I was already planning on going down the psychology route. So I decided Let's just get undergrad over with and change the major, become a psychologist. But uh, what music therapy really did for me was it taught me how to use different mediums in therapeutic ways. And so I took the training that I had from music therapy and started taking those lessons to apply it to tabletop gaming. Um, I had become a psychologist and then started playing D&D &D on my own just as a hobby. And I realized how much I was learning and how much I was growing as a person as a result of playing. And just the powerful insights I was gaining on my own self and the things I needed to work on, I was just like, man, this would have taken me years of therapy to figure this stuff out. I need to find a way to be able to use this. This is too powerful of a tool not to use. Um, and then what happened was uh, on my commute one day, I was listening to the Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and they had uh, my friend and colleague now, uh, Dr. Bocanzaro, or Dr. B, on, and he was talking about how they were using it out in uh, Seattle for uh, teaching social skills. And so he and I connected not uh, too long thereafter, and I helped. Uh, he kind of gave me some guidance to set my program up. And then I've been running it now for two and a half, three years, I think. Wow. I think two and a half. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so from, from the outside, it feels like this is a new. Thing. But I also know that from my psychology background that play therapy and role-playing therapy, like gestalt-esque kind of techniques, are not uncommon. So what do you think is like the, well, one, is there a wave of, you know, clinically savvy tabletop therapeutic dungeon masters, um, or are we just now realizing that that's what it's called? I think it's a little bit of both, I think. I think uh, people are choosing to use this as a different medium for applying a lot of the things that we knew from drama therapy and gestalt therapy and bringing those into the tabletop setting. Um, I think in a lot of ways, tabletop role-playing games are a little bit more approachable than maybe like your typical psychodrama. Um, I, and I think that's, I, there's a lot of unpacking we could do as to why that might be. Could you actually say what psychodrama is? Sure. So that's where you're enacting out different, um, aspects of the traumas or different things that you're trying to work through. Um, so like I, I've heard of psychodramas where someone was working through a trauma of being shot and they were asked to actually play the role of the bullet that shot them and trying to get Carthesis through doing those dramas and playing things out. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it, it's very uh the those I haven't actually done psychodrama myself, so I do have to put that uh, as a caveat to this, but my understanding is it's incredibly powerful, but it takes a long time and a lot of trust to build up to the point where it can really get at those deep rooted issues that you're trying to work through. Mm-hmm. And what I like to see with D&D is people can jump into it right away. As soon as they have their character, as soon as they jump into it, you know, right away they're starting to make these bonds and to get into that character and start to see how they can be somebody else. I've seen people who are incredibly shy, don't want to talk in front of a group, but you say, okay, no, no, this isn't you talking, this is your Kenku talking. And all of a sudden they open up and they start getting chatty. They're what talking? Uh, Kenku, it's a um, a type of ca- uh, creature in Dungeons and Dragons. It's oh, a okay. bird. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you can you think of a time where you had somebody who you were doing therapeutic D and D with, and you you hit like that aha moment that all of us therapists always like dream of? It's the stuff that gives us chills and helps keeps us going. Most definitely, I think this is one of there's two that come to mind, and they were both very early on in the two groups I was running. Uh, So I started off running a social skills group, but I've uh, since handed the torch of that one off. But um, it was all uh, young boys who were on the autism spectrum. And they had this encounter where they all, all their characters came to their first town and they all did the video game thing, which is let's find the blacksmith, sell all all of our stuff, get gold and buy better stuff. And so we, I paused the game and I was talking to them about how do you think your characters are feeling right now? You were one place and all of a sudden you've woken up and months have passed. You don't know where you are. You don't know what's going on. And your first instinct is to go sell everything, all the possessions, these only things that are familiar to you right now. And this one boy in the back kind of looked up and he went, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be doing what my character would do, not what I want to do. <laughs> And for psychologists out there, for a child on the spectrum to have that level of theory of mind is absolutely incredible. So I'll ask you to expand a little bit upon theory of mind as well, especially as it relates to this incident. Yeah. So theory of mind is your ability to see the world from someone else's perspective. It's the idea that you can understand that different people in the world have a different perspective than your own. They're walking around with knowledge that you don't have or don't have the same knowledge that you do have. And so in Dungeons and Dragons play, this can come in in a very big way where the players often will know things that their characters might not. Like, for example, if they're walking down a hallway and half the party turns right and then there's suddenly a trap right there, the party in the back doesn't know that, but the players know it, but they have to act like their characters don't know it. They go, well, my character doesn't know there's a danger around the corner, so there's absolutely no reason for them not to continue forward. Yeah, and that's a difficult thing for, you know, any kind of developing brain to master, much less mm-hmm. someone on the spectrum. Exactly. And so that's where this D&D can be very helpful is we can pause the game, we can talk about it, we can help, you know, break it down and help them start to get that perspective of, I want my character just to go and to buy the really cool thing at the blacksmith's, but my character, there's no way, even though their armor might not be the best armor for them, if that's the only thing that's familiar to them right now, they're not going to let go of something familiar. And it was just an incredibly powerful moment for that kid. And you could really see that light bulb turning on in his head. Oh, that's the stuff dreams are made of. I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> and the second one was also uh, another one of my first groups. So the other group I run I've uh, is the Self-Rescuing Princess. It's an all-girls group where we use Dungeons & Dragons to teach empowerment and social skills and to tackle women's issues. And uh, it was, you know, one of the challenges I always give the girls is I try to have them make their character be good at something they're not good at. 
or strong in something they wish that they were strong in. And this one girl, uh, she was very much a people pleaser and would always say yes to things even if she didn't want to do them. And she came up to me after the group one night and said, I just want to tell you, one of my friends was asking me for a ride the other day and I wasn't going to where they were going and I didn't want to go and I felt myself getting ready to say yes and then I thought about Frostbraid, who was her D&D character. And she's like, Frostbraid would say no. Frostbraid wouldn't go out of her way because these people weren't nice to me. They weren't helping me. So why would I do that? So I said no because it's what my D&D character would do. And so I'm I'm guessing that because she was talking about giving someone a ride, that this was, we're not talking like children, we're talking adolescents. Yeah, she was six, she's senior in high school. So 16, 17, maybe 18. Um, and that's, that's so fascinating because a lot of times when people think about play therapy or even just using games mm-hmm. in general, it almost always defaults to, oh, that's for kids, you know, like elementary school, maybe middle school. Um so what do you think it is about D&D, or I guess any role-playing game in particular, that makes it resonate with a group who in treatment are sometimes very challenging, um, just because of like their developmental need to be independent and to establish themselves as autonomous beings? I think one of the things that really helps D&D be a little bit more approachable is how popular it's becoming. So pe- kids could turn on, you know, um, is it event- Adventure Time? No, Adventure Zone. It was the one that was just ended or uh, Critical Role. Um, there's all kinds of different Twitch streams where they can watch people play D&D. Um, even uh, the Yogg's cast has been a popular Let's Play video channel. Um, for uh, They mostly play a lot of Minecraft and Gary's Mod. But they have a really popular live play D&D series now called High Rollers. So a, a lot of kids are now getting familiar with it. It's not some alien weird concept. It's, oh, that cool game that I saw you know, these people play and it looks like a lot of fun. Sure, I'll give this a try. Have you found that the uh, clients who you're using this with are familiar with these um, streaming of RPGs? I think probably about a third would be. The other ones, it's that kind of that quick elevator pitch as to why you think it would be fun. Mm -hmm. And it's sitting down explaining like, you know, asking people, what's your favorite you know, genre of entertainment. What do you like fantasy novels? Do you like Harry Potter? Do you like, you know, the Avengers? And it's trying to explain what the game is in a way that they can understand. You say like, look, you get to create this character. It can be pretty much anything you want. At this point in uh, the fifth edition of Dungeons Dragons, we have elephant people, we have bird people, we have, uh, you know, bird people who can't fly, bird people who can fly. We have turtle people, we have elves, we have door. I mean, like you could be anything you want to be, right? And then you get to have a job and your job is either you're a fighter or you're a magic user of some kind or some blend thereof. And then you and your friends are going to go on quests together and do amazing things and have fun. And it's about sitting around the table, rolling dice and telling a story. And some have some trepidation, but every now and then, like, I'll be giving the pitch and I can just see this little glimmer of like, wait a second, I get to play pretend. (laughs) Right. And it. There's such this interesting thing, especially since I work with girls predominantly, is uh, girls love pretend play, right? You know, we love to pretend that, you know, we're, you know, rich, you know, rich people on the yacht going to on a cruise or something, right? We love that idea of pretend. And so this is a way to have pretend that is pro-social. It helps gain friendships and build those relationships that you want to see. 
and seeing these girls come together has just been absolutely amazing. Um, Can you share a specific example? I tell this story a lot, but one of the parents of a girl who was in my group was saying, I, I don't know exactly what it is you do in there. She she comes home and tells me about it. He's like, but I do see her with her friends. He's like, I see her with her school friends, and then I see her with her D&D friends. Her school friends are often giving these backhanded compliments. They're cutting each other down. They're really mean. It's like, but with her D&D friends, they're all kind to each other. They're supportive. They're cheering each other on. It's like, whatever that is, that needs to happen more. I think that raises another uh, just question. How do you get the parents on board? Because a lot of, I mean, again, just in, from my experience working with, you know, children around uh, digital games in particular, in my case, but there's usually some kind of either pushback or trepidation from, from parents. So I'm wondering, do you have like a magic spell that you cast on them or, or are they seemingly like more open and understanding? There's a little bit of a blend. Um, some of them, it takes a little while of explaining uh, what it is. And, you know, as I, I do a parent session, usually the week before we start a group to answer questions and to, you know, demystifies the whole thing to mm -hmm. them. Um, but I think one of the big selling points is that it is a tabletop game and not a video game. So it's this idea of like, wait, my kid's going to be unplugged for two hours and actually have to have face-to-face oh. -face conversations with other kids and learn to work together and not be competitive. Oh, and they're going to read and do some simple math as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you explain it like that, yeah, that does sound pretty great. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. And like to see the friendships that get built around this table, like, I, you know, the group um, for a while, they've had a tradition of whenever someone has a birthday, they do a slumber party and whoever's birthday it is DMs for everybody else. Oh. And it's so cool. And like all the parents just kind of love to like, yeah, they come together and then they sit in the room and they're telling stories and laughing and I hear dice rolling and they're drinking soda and I don't know what they're doing, but they're having a lot of fun. And I can only imagine the kind of therapeutic benefit of taking on that role of DM would have. And I, I guess let me take a step back just in case uh, anybody listening mm -hmm. might not be into the the TTRPG lingo, uh, DM is basically the person who is uh, narrating the story and guiding the actions of the players. Is that a good way of describing yes. it? Yep. They are the narrator. Okay. So they're, they're the narrator. So not only do these girls get to experience this um, like very collaborative storytelling, but on their birthdays, they then get to become the storyteller and craft something for their friends, as well as like be creative and on the fly. Like, I mean, I've DM'd once or twice and it's terrifying. So I can only imagine like the kind of confidence boost that comes from pulling off a campaign like that. Oh yeah. It, it's, it's incredibly terrifying. I mean, like I, I DM on Twitch now for a bunch of other dungeon masters who like to try to break the game that I, it's, it really intimidating, but it can also just be so much fun once you start to get the hang of it. And then it, the thing I always try to go for is I love to see delight in my players. If I can do something that just makes them light up, I, I feel like I have done a very good job. Like that, that's the win. When, when was the last time you made somebody light up? The one time I got the whole group to light up, um, they, had been creating this world and talking about what they wanted to see and um someone mentioned that they wanted to get a pet and so i decided like all right let's go for this and so i made a magical menagerie and we spent almost the entire two hours having them all pet shop and each of them picking a pet that was suited to their character 
So we have a cleric of the goddess Maliki who is, her symbol is a unicorn. Uh, she has a hamster-sized unicorn that is not magical. It's really just a hamster that looks like a unicorn, but she loves it. Uh, we've got another character who has a flying monkey that she is teaching to steal things for her. Naturally. Um, another character who she's gets, uh, she's very shy, and so she has a uh, phase kitten who likes to hang out with her. Um, uh, and just phase kitten? Is that one that can just kind of like phase- come in and out of existence? It can come in and they're very terrifying beasts once they grow up, so she has to tame it. But uh, it was sort of one of those things I think it fit her very well. She wanted something that could be scary, but also could be cuddly. So I I think that was a a good fit for her. Uh, It's just all kind you know, we spent so much time just narrating all these different pets and animals that they would see. Um, One of them got a little fairy dragon, so it's a dragon with butter, tiny little dragon with butterfly wings. That likes to eat candy and get into trouble. <laughs> that sounds like me in pet form. Yes. <laughs> now, they had so much fun with it. It was just fun just to see all of their faces lighting up. And then one of them figured out that they could cast a spell, which was speak with animals. And then so they figured out they could talk with all of their pets. <laughs> so that we spent <laughs> another bit of time having conversations with pets. I, w- I want to be a part of this. This sounds awesome. Sign me up. Yeah. Exactly. And, well, and this is the that reaction that you had is the reaction I get from a lot of the parents, actually. A lot of the moms are like, I think I want to play this. This sounds amazing. I guess the last thing I want to touch on in terms of you know, actually doing uh, D&D in the therapy room is how do you, or, or do you even try to talk to other therapists about, about what you do? And I, I say this because a lot of times when I'm speaking at events and I have people come up and ask questions like, hey, my supervisor doesn't get games. My supervisor won't let me do this. Um, you know, like trying to support people and like pursuing what they're passionate about, but mm-hmm. also being respectful of the fact that, you know, it's not my license on the line. Yeah. What would you say to those individuals? Like, is there a handbook that they can show their supervisor that has like all the literature on tabletop RPGs? Or is there some kind of magic word or phrasing that can help therapists who want to use uh, like D&D or any tabletop RPG in their therapy to help get their supervisors or other people on board? There will be a handbook in the future. Dr. B and I, it's a project on the pipeline that we're working on. We've also developed uh, a one-day training on applied tabletop role-playing games, and we've been assembling the literature that's being done. Um, There are a few different studies that are starting to happen in graduate schools. Uh, I've gotten to be a consult on a couple of poster presentations that have happened, so there are some citations out there. Um, RPG Research does have a database of all research around role-playing games, so that's a resource that they can look at. Uh, I tried to be as available as possible, too, to actually answer questions to supervisors who want to know what this is. Um, And a lot of us, so myself, Dr. B, um, Adam and Adam from game to grow uh, some of the providers, uh, including Jack Birkenstock from the Bahana Group, uh, we speak at different conventions, and I'm trying to I, I keep a compiled list of all of the uh, talks that we've done in a playlist on YouTube that I will often send people to and just say, like, start looking through some of these. You don't have to watch all of them, but this starts to give you an idea of what we do and how we do it. Because um, so I feel like if people can kind of watch that and ha- in their own time and their own space, that can help them, um, you know, 
find it a little bit more approachable, I think. Well, we'll definitely make sure that that link to that playlist is in the show notes so that anybody who's listening and wants to know more knows exactly where to go. Most certainly. And I do update it. So as we're doing new talks or new talks are done, I add more to that. And I do want to point out also that some of the names you mentioned, so Dr. B, uh, he's not on this one, but he will be on another one, or another episode at a different time. The Adams will be also on Beyond Gameplay in a different episode talking about tabletop RPGs. Um, and that Jack, uh, the Jack Birkenstock is one of the consultants mm-hmm. that I'm working with in developing iThrive's uh, tabletop RPG. So it just it's, it's a small world, but it's filled with like really amazing people. It is. And it's getting bigger, though. Yes. Like, it, there's more and more people like am I hope when I had started uh, DMing Clinical Role was to have, as a guest, every person who was doing uh, therapeutic D&D, but that's quickly becoming too much. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be able to do all of that, but I hope to still like get everybody in the fold and like to keep us all connected. But it, it's amazing how quickly this is starting to take off. So there's two things you mentioned, and they're both things that I want to talk about. So I'll, I'll let you do the choose your own adventure thing. So on oh, the, cool. the left path, we have the training that you mentioned earlier, which I am ecstatic to have been a part of as, as a learner right in the front row. Um, or choice to the to the right would be uh, clinical role and, and what that is. And we'll talk about both. So it's really kind of a false yeah. choice, but, you know, illusion of agency. <laughs> illusion of agency. Well, I, I will go with the left-hand fork to start okay. off with, with, the, with the training. This was something uh, Dr. B and I had been talking about, and uh, I think he had started it, and then he pulled me in so we could work on it together. Um, and actually, it does weave in with clinical role a bit because um, we'll talk about both at the same time, actually. So when I started started clinical role, um, I proposed it because I had been talking with Adam and Adam and I attended talking with Dr. B and we weren't friends at that point. And I knew that this was a very small community and we needed to be collaborating. But the idea of us having a weekly meeting or monthly meeting to talk about and, you know, peer consult and stuff, I knew none of us would do. And so I proposed that we actually sit down and play a game together. Um, I ended up DMing it because I'm the only one that is consistently playing a game. Um, that's my one like self-care thing that is super sacred. You will not take away my D&D game. Um, and so uh, through that, we all started to become friends. And one of the mottos that we really are, try to live with in Clinical Role is we're better together. This isn't a thing of we're competing against each other. It's we all can succeed together. There's plenty of room for all of us so we can share in that. And it's that idea of collaboration and that everything is better when we're consulting with one another and working together that I think really brought about the training that we're going to work together to, you know, it's not going to be, you know, Megan's going to make her training and Dr. B is going to make his. We are going to come together and make something better by being together. And so just to kind of summarize, um, so clinical role is something that you host live on Twitch twice a month. Mm-hmm. And it yes. is a and d game that you are playing with live with other therapeutically minded I mean, I hope they're all therap- therapeutically minded therapists. <laughs> yes. But uh, to go back to the training. So the hope with the training is to get, um, not to say like there's only one way to do therapeutic D&D, but to start explaining what the theology is behind it, why it works and how you can use it well. Uh, a lot of the training is based off of essentially our mistakes to put it bluntly, you know, we've been doing this by trial and error. No, there hasn't been a handbook that we all can follow to figure this out. We've been 
looking at the literature of you know group therapy of you know psychodrama of play therapy you know, different dynamics and trying to our best to build things and through trial and error we're starting to come up with what the best practices are and so the training is to give new you know prospective therapeutic dungeon masters the tools and the tricks that we've learned so far and also to give them the lingo and the ways to explain what therapeutic D&D is to different um, supervisors or to um, department heads so that they can get support and to try do lots of trial programs. So as I mentioned, I was at that training, um, which was Yay. fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty games savvy clinician, uh, but I, I definitely walked away knowing a lot more than when I walked in. So that's always a good sign for a training. And what I thought, one of the things that has stayed with me was there is this one image that uh, Dr. B had up on the screen. And it, it basically was showing out how the, the skills of being a, a, a DM map onto the skills of being a therapist based on the therapist's orientation. So I guess said it another way for, for anybody who's not steeped in the, the lingo, basically the skills that are required to be a therapist who practices a cognitive behavioral therapy, which tends to be very mm -hmm. thought and behavior focused. It was laid out and like how that overlapped with D and D, or if you had a more psychodynamic uh, kind of perspective, how that was laid out in terms of D and D and how it got at those same, um, those same mechanisms. And I can still like, I can still think about, I still think about that right now. That, that image was so <laughs> powerful. Well, it was fun to do. And like, uh, for me, I'm use acceptance and commitment therapy or act. And, uh, I drew out the act hexaflex. So, um, there's six core principles that go into act and it just so happens that the hexaflex can look a lot like a D20 and learning how to communicate those act terms in gaming terms. And that's helped a lot too, with my documentation of the notes for the group and thinking about that. And, you know, it's just that conceptual lens and like, Dungeon mastering is people management. Like, even though it's not group therapy, if you're not a therapist, you're still having to manage a lot of people and people can get upset and angry and frustrated and you have to be the one to kind of learn to corral that and to manage those. There's a lot of skills that go into being a good DM that are part of being a good therapist and part of having that good insight into how to manage people and how to corral those behaviors and keep people on track and keep things focused and understand when to push and when to pull and when to step back that are really important. It's those are the things that are a little bit harder to teach. And as we work on getting research done, harder to make sure we're accounting for in randomized tri trials for, of DMs and all of that. But that'll be a bridge we come to hopefully soon. Did you ever think you would say randomized clinical trials of DMs? No. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I never thought that I would get to be involved in research. Honestly, I have a, a side E. I like to do the, do the therapy side more. I'm fascinated by research. I always wanted to do it. It was one of those things where I was like, anything I want to do has been studied to death. So I'm going to go out and just do this. And now I'm doing something where it's like, not only am I doing something that hasn't been studied to death, it hasn't really been studied much at all. And I'm getting to help create this thing. And it's mind-blowing just how much we're doing and what all we're finding and how just amazing and powerful of a tool this is. Yeah, shout out to all the PsyDs out there. What, what? Yeah. 
Um, the, the other thing I want to mention, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention about the, at least the first half of the training was there was another image, um, about like what it takes to do therapeutic role play. And I found it super, mm -hmm. super insightful. And so hopefully I'll get this right. But like one, you have to understand basically games. You have to understand yes. the systems of games and how they work. You have to be a good therapist. You have to know your stuff, especially, I mean, I guess specifically in group therapy and the, the formations and the systems that group therapy works. And then you also have to have the skills to be a dungeon master. So, and if you at any point lack one of those points on the triangle, you're not going to be successful. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah, essentially. And it, and it's, you can build and, you know, if one of those points is stronger than the others, like it can help support, but eventually you do need all of those skills to come together to be like, you know, effective in what you want to do. You know, it's, I, I don't, you know, I think one of the things I worry about with people seeing that is they feel like, oh my God, I have to have the entire player's handbook and dungeon master's guide memorized to do this. Like, no, but you want to be confident enough in how you run the game that you can just run it without fumbling in the moment. And that, Reminds me a lot of, because um, the second half of the training, Dr. B actually did a live demo. So he had four people mm -hmm. sit at the table and he DM'd uh, an, an interaction, which was fascinating to to watch it happen. It, it felt like one of those nature videos, like, here <laughs> is the elusive DM and he is approaching the character. Uh, oh, oh, no, the character's acting out. All right. He's pausing, reframing. And... Here we go again. It was it was wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> um, I apologize for the accent. That was awful. No, no, that's kind of how it goes in my head too. It's like, all right, just come back, drop the hint again. Nope, they're not getting. Okay, we're not going with this story. Over here we go. Yes, <laughs> distraction. Look over here. And, and to your point about someone looking at that triad and going, "Oh my gosh, if I don't have all three, I can't do it." I had that exact same reaction because I understand game systems. I think I'm a pretty decent therapist, um, but I definitely don't have the experience of being a DM. And I certainly don't know, um, you know, the depths of D&D. &D. And when I was talking to Dr. B afterwards, he told me that for that session that he ran, he literally had three points on a note card and everything else mm -hmm. he just improvised and just made up. And that made me so much more comfortable to go out and try and to be a DM. The fact that, you know, yes, there is lots of structure and lots of lore that you can dig into, and that's awesome. But it's also possible to, if you're comfortable with it, improvise. And as long as you have these specific beats, um, in the case of the the demo, it was for like socially anxious teens to, to practice uh, going out and communicating with others. And as long as you're hitting those specific topics, then it really doesn't matter. Or mm -hmm. I don't know. that. that hmm. Yeah. It, and that's like... The interesting point is like you don't have to have too much prep like both dr b and i really recommend uh return of L the lazy dungeon master by sly flourish um it is an incredibly great book and it talks about like how to do session planning as a minimal effort as possible because when you go too in depth in your planning you're going to force the players down this road and they might not want to go on it and you're going to take away their agency. And so you want to learn how to be basically an improv actor and just to have a couple of ideas in mind of what you want to do. So like we have a session planning sheet that I actually use for my groups and I've, we've got, I think four lines for your session plan for that week. So it's a very tiny little box and you just write it in. And like this past week with my groups, the session plan was to, um, have them come together as a group 
and to start communicating and bonding and feeling like a cohesive whole. And there's lots of different ways we can do that. And so it's, we have that goal in mind and we just see where the players want to take the role play and steer it in that direction of bringing them all together. Yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, an important skill, not just for a DM, but you know, as you spoke earlier, like a therapist and a DM are very similar. And as, as you're talking, I'm hearing, yep, that sounds like group therapy. Don't go in with the plan because it's not going to work, but an idea is good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess the last thing that I wanted to mention from the training is Dr. B had this really um, eloquent way of saying that using D&D in this way, it's, it is group therapy, but just through a gameful lens. And so pretty much all of the underpinnings that we as clinicians think about in terms of group therapy, the norms, the storms, all that fun stuff. It it's all quintessentially the same. There's just a layer of of play on top of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's really interesting. Like, it's been a little bit of an uphill battle to get my groups going and to get people in and doing that. And one of the things I did was I brought in other clinicians as I could, and when they came into the room and they could see what we were doing, like they would stop and be like, "Oh my god." That's probably the most powerful thing I've ever seen. Um, one of the clinicians, uh, she's sending me almost a ton of my new clients are coming from her uh, because she's just like, oh, this girl needs some social skills. She's going to D&D. <laughs> That's awesome. You you now have like your niche. Yes. You, you are yeah. the D&D and I love lady. It. It's, it's so much fun. So you do D&D at work. You do D&D for fun through clinical role. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there anything that maybe D&D doesn't touch? No, I mean, I play with uh, my little girls, like, even like to play. Aww. We have <laughs> we have a, a couple of D&D &D board games because it's a great way to get minis and a board game. Um, and they were unpacking it the other day. And, like, my youngest loves to play this big uh, demon-y looking thing. And she just walks around roaring. And so I just have her do intimidation checks all day. And they'll just sit and be like, okay, mommy, we're going to do D&D. &D. And uh, the D&D &D board games have tiles that you flip over and they make a dungeon. Oh, cool. And so they, they just love flipping over the tiles and making a dungeon and they have me control the different characters. And sometimes they fight them and sometimes they scare them away. And sometimes they just tell them to go away and not, not bother them while they go on their adventure and try to find the treasure. Uh, so it's so much fun. You're going to be the coolest mom at career day. That's all I got to say. I hope so. Like, I, I don't, I don't even think there's like, there's no, nothing that can compare. I guess talking about small children, uh, I don't, play with my my son at the moment he's only two and a half um so we've got time but he yeah does really enjoy my d20 and he likes to hold it and run around and say mommy look at my octagon and i think it's adorable oh that's so, so soon 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 yes <laughs> they may I, last year pax east i got very giant dice for my girls and they they love them they they know most of the dice they can remember the d20 d12 and d4 and a D8. Actually, the D8 was on the floor the other day and one of my girls went, oh, there's the D8. So, you know, it's a good number game. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier, it's about reading and math and social skills mm -hmm. and cooperation. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I remember hearing one story of a teacher who was using D&D &D with high school students who were in rudimentary English. And what they did was they brought in uh, enough players handbooks so that each student could have a handbook they gave it to them they handed each student a character sheet they put them around a gaming table they put minis on the table for each of them and said you're in a battle royale go and is a students who 
were supposed to be needing to learn how to use an index and learn how to use a table of contents. We're flipping through the book all of a sudden and we're looking up their spells and looking at and it's like, yeah, I had them all reading in an hour. And that is the power of games. Yes. So I guess one more question, uh, like the most important question before we go. Uh, who is your D&D character? Oh, well, right now I play Torina. She is a bard and also a couple levels of warlock. Uh, currently... We're perpetually stuck at level 13. We have been at level 13 for a year. We're waiting to level up. <laughs> but she is a blast to play. She, In the spirit of pushing somebody to be something I'm not, she is much more outgoing. She tends to leap before looking. So her anxiety level is pretty low. And uh, she's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy playing her. And it She's gotten a lot more thoughtful, though, because uh, my DM loves to use the fact that she will just do stuff without thinking about the consequences against me. <laughs> so she's been cursed a number of times. Oh. But she's okay. She's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. This sounds like another podcast. Oh, there, there's so much, so much with this character. She, She's uh, getting set up for a very Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid ending. So uh, we'll see what happens. I guess we're through that window. Yeah. <laughs> well, Megan, thank you so much for being on the show and for chatting with me. This was an absolute blast. Oh, it was my pleasure being here. It was great to talk to you. And that's it for today's show. A huge thanks to Megan for being on and for sharing the amazing work that she's doing. I am so lucky to know Megan outside of the show, and her passion and dedication to helping others through games is inspirational. It's a daily reminder that games have the power to break down barriers and to be a vehicle for positive change, especially if someone like Megan is at the wheel. Beyond Gameplay is a production of the iThrive Games Foundation, a 501c3 organization. For more information about how iThrive uses games and game design to prepare teens to thrive, visit us at iThriveGames.org. The show is hosted by me, Kelly Dunlap, and is produced by I Am Trin with direction from Dr. Susan Rivers and Jane Lee. Audio engineering and theme music was created by the noisy game maker Ethan Goss Alexander. Marketing and PR was coordinated by Just Class and Sierra Martinez. Thank you for going beyond gameplay, where humanity is the core mechanic. <laughs>